going to read our text this morning, and then as we did last week, take a moment in prayer, asking the Lord to speak to our hearts this morning. But in Acts chapter number 16, we're going to start reading in verse number 19. Acts 16, verse number 19. Paul was in the city of Philippi here, and um, let's read this, starting Acts 16, verse 19. It says, And when our master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers, and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. And teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out a sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, and sprang in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, as we did last week, we're going to have a moment of prayer and I ask everyone to individually pray and ask the Lord to speak to your heart. And uh, let's get alone with God for a moment, ask the Lord to speak to us, and then I will close this time of prayer. But let's all bow our heads and ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Father, we come to you, Lord, this morning, and I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, God, for your goodness. And Father, I pray that, Lord, you'd speak to my heart. I pray you'd speak to all of our hearts, and I pray the Holy Spirit would just to help us. Lord, if we need comfort today, I pray we'd find it in your word. If we need challenge today, rebuked, Lord, whatever our spiritual need is, you know. 
Lord, help us to find it from your word. I pray that I would be hidden in your word and your son would be lifted up today. I just pray that all things would be done for your glory. Lord, if there be anyone here today that's not saved, I pray they come today to know you as Savior. And Lord, help us all. May we leave this place, and Lord, in a much better place than even when we walked in. And may your word and your spirit work. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In this passage of Scripture, Paul is preaching at the city of Philippi. People are getting saved. Uh, really, the Lord's doing a great work. And the part we didn't read ahead of this is while he's preaching and going about the town, this uh, young lady begins to follow behind. And she begins to kind of, in sarcasm, uh, say, yeah, you need to listen to these two men. They're preaching salvation. And she does this for a while. And Paul continues and Silas preaching. And, but eventually it begins to grieve his heart. And this lady, this young lady, she's not just, you know, a teenage brat, all right? That's not what she is, all right? What she is, is she is uh, in the uh, uh, divinations, the Bible says. Uh, the occult, supernatural, uh, demonic things. And, which by the way, we as God's people should stay away from all of that stuff. But she's into these things, and she's not a saved young lady. A matter of fact, we know from the Word of God that she is possessed with an evil spirit. And Paul turns around at some point, being grieved at all this, and he rebukes that evil spirit, and it comes out of her. She's delivered from that evil spirit. Well, what happened is, the men, the business owners that were using this young lady possessed by this evil spirit because she would do supernatural things like a circus show, they realized that they weren't going to make any money anymore, and they got mad at Paul and Silas because they just ruined their business. And so they began to stir the whole town that Paul and Silas were nothing but troublemakers. They pulled out the race card and said, they're these people being Jews, and we're Romans. And they stirred up the people and anti-Jewish thinking and, and they're troublemakers and they're ruining their business and they're going to mess up everything and they bring the magistrates in who they get all involved in it and they literally are trying to stir the people so much they, their outer cloak they rend it which is a way of great oh this is terrible and, uh, and the whole town's like this must be awful and, uh, and they all get all involved in this and they say these men need to be stopped and they take them and they take them to a jailer, give them instructions, and the jailer, he scourges these men. He beats them, uh, whip them. We know from later on in the passage that they had many stripes on their back, they either with a whip or some sort of instrument that they were beaten. In those days, Romans, there was a point that only, Romans would only beat till so far by the law, but anyone that wasn't a Roman in this situation, they could have beat him to death. They may have tried, but they beat them. Then the magistrate says, take these two men and not, don't just put them in prison, but put them in the, the innermost chamber, maximum security. And he takes them in there, and the Bible says that they, they bound them in, uh, and, and thrust them into prison, in verse number 24, and made their feet fast in stocks. Now, 
obviously I don't know exactly what it looked like, but it was very common in those days, right? That when it says stocks, uh, and the way that they would do that is to bring more agony upon a prisoner that was very bad, like maximum security kind of person. They wouldn't just have, like we see sometimes, like two chains on their ankles or something. They would literally bind them in stocks. They would have a bar with, with basically four holes. They would put their foot in, then twist the foot back and put the, uh, the ankle in the other side, which would leave the person sitting in an extremely awkward position. There would be cramping. It would just be a, a way of just making them absolutely miserable and guaranteed no escape. That's where Paul and Silas are. They're in their innermost chamber. They've been beaten. They have been uh, abused. Uh, they, they had done uh, anything that you can imagine. I'm sure life was rough. And all of a sudden that night, there's an earthquake. It was no normal earthquake. This was a God-ordained earthquake. We know that because when the earthquake happened, all the prison doors, they opened. Now, what's interesting is before that, at midnight, Paul and Silas are not sitting in there at prison, you know, moaning and crying, and they had all reason, and probably I and you would have been. But instead, they're praying, and they're singing praise to God. At midnight, with their feet, their feet, their, sorry, their feet in these stocks having been beaten and whipped and scourged and mistreated. Here they are singing and praying and praising God. And the Bible specifically says, and the prisoners heard them. I mean, all of them were listening to this, whether they wanted to or not. And they're praying and they're singing praises. The earthquake happens. The doors fly open. And the jailer is awakened out of his sleep. He realizes what's going on. He goes into his jail that he has been assigned to be the jailer of. And it was Roman law that if you're the jailer and you allowed your prisoners to escape, you face the death penalty. So that jailer, when he saw the doors open, he realized, I'm a dead man. And the Bible says he drew out a sword and would have killed himself because in his mind that was going to be a lot easier than what was going to happen to him by the magistrates. Right. And he was going to take his own life when all of a sudden he heard Paul speak out. Yeah. And he said, do thyself no harm. Amen. We are all here. Not just Paul and Silas, but all the prisoners. They're all there. And the jailer calls for a light and he looks around and probably does some inventory and counts. Sure enough, they're all there. And he falls down on his knees before Paul and Silas. And he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas gave him an answer and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. During the times of the British Empire, when Britain was literally, the sun never set on their empire, there was a chaplain 
one of the head chaplains in their empire. His name was John Taylor Smith. John Taylor Smith, it was one of his job to assign other chaplains. And I just found this interesting that uh, because their empire was so vast, they needed many chaplains all across the world. So he would bring them in, any men that wanted and desired to be a chaplain, and he gave them a test to see if these men could serve as as a chaplain. And what he would say, he'd say this, Sir, he'd look at these prospects and say, Sir, a man has gravely been injured in battle. He has three minutes to live. You're speaking to him right now and telling him how to be saved and have peace with God. Go. And he'd require that prospective chaplain in three minutes to share the gospel with someone who is dying on the battlefield. If they couldn't do it, he didn't assign him to the post. Now, I'm not defending or approving of his means, but I am saying this. The gospel, praise the Lord, is simple. Yet, the mystery of it, we can never figure it out. (laughs) But in sharing it, it is indeed so simple. But this man understood, Mr. Smith, that a man could hear the truth believe the truth and put their faith in the truth Paul would later write that he prayed that people would not be blinded from the simplicity that is in Christ I am thankful today and I'm not cheapening the gospel I'm not compromising the gospel I'm not condensing the gospel but I am telling what the gospel is that you and I can be saved and praise the Lord we that are saved it is because we have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ And we're repentant of our sin. This jailer got saved that day. Verse 34 says so. Matter of fact, his whole household would get saved. The jailer would get saved this day. And after his salvation, he would get baptized. The jailer had no good works. He didn't do anything to earn salvation. He just simply, well, what Paul said, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this story, and there's a couple of things we're going to look at and why this jailer got saved that day. I told my wife last night, I can't preach this as truth, but I think it's just interesting. Here's where, you know how I write those Christmas stories? Could have been, but probably wasn't. Right? Yeah, you know? Uh, you know, but uh, I was thinking, I just found this interesting. I was studying this chapter. I've been reading through Acts in my devotions. But uh, whenever they went to Philippi, in chapter number 16, look at verse number 9. It says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of Macedonia, and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. So Paul went there because he had a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, Come and help us. And they went, uh, verse number 12, from thence to Philippi, that's where this all story happened, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia. So now they're in the chief city of Macedonia. And, I, and this is just Travis Burke's thinking. Y'all understand that? Everybody with me? I'm not telling you this is... Everybody with me? All right. But this is just... You know, in Acts chapter number 5, the disciples were in prison, and the, uh, miraculously in the middle of the night, the prison doors opened. And you know what the disciples did? They all left. And they went back preaching in the synagogue. 
In Acts chapter number 12, Peter's in prison. Remember what happened in the middle of the night? An angel came and opened all the doors. You know what Peter did? He left. Went back and joined the church. In this case, miraculously, the prison doors opened and Paul and Silas stayed there. And at midnight, after this man had beaten him and scourged them and done all they could to abuse the, these two guys, they're singing and praying and praising God. And then they talk all of these other prisoners into staying so that this guy doesn't die. I told my wife last night, wouldn't it have been something? Because it's different than the other accounts. That maybe that vision that God gave to Paul was this guy. That, then, 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 can't you see why they said, oh, we're not leaving. We're here for a purpose. That's why they're singing and praising God at midnight. There's the guy. Now, that's just my mind. Some of you are just staring at me. All right, fine. Whatever, right? That was just my, I have imagination, all right? Yeah. But hey, right? Could have been. Anyways, all right? Anyways, all right? Why did this guy get saved? Now, he got saved because, I'll give you three things real quick this morning. Number one, he got saved because of a gracious Lord. A gracious Lord. See, why do you say that? This man, the jailer, gets saved because of a gracious Lord. What had this jailer been doing in the previous verses ahead of this? Beating God's men. Scourging God's men. Leaving stripes all over their back. Later, after his salvation, he would take these as Paul and Silas into his house and wash the stripes off the, and the blood and, the, and all the pain and, and try to heal some of those wounds because he had done that. But here's a man who had beaten God's men. He had scourged God's men. He had imprisoned God's men. He did everything he could to make their life miserable. He obviously had heard something from the time that Paul had been in town up until this point because he didn't come in and say, what is this all about? He came in with a pretty direct question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He obviously had heard something. Some things had been told to him, but up until this point, you know what he had said to the gospel? No. Up until this point, he knew that he needed to be saved, right? But up until this point, he had not accepted Christ. He had taken advantage of God's men. He had beaten them. He had scourged them. He had put them in the innermost prison. He had been unkind to them. He, had, he was a, no doubt, if you were a jailer, you were not some, some wimpy little guy. He was one of the, probably the tough men in town. He was uh, probably one of the harshest men in town. One can imagine his language and his lifestyle would have been one that a typical jailer, even today, I know Christians that have worked in prisons, and it affects them. It's not an easy thing. And it's not something, unless God tells you to, I'd be careful about that. But these men had served in this, and, and, and this, this man was wicked, he was harsh, he had been mean and disrespectful to the gospel, to God's men. But look at me, God didn't quit loving him. Isn't that awesome? Even though all the things, he had rejected God, he had rejected what he had heard. He, when Paul and Cyrus were sitting there singing and praising God, he ignored it. He went to sleep. He didn't want nothing to do with it. He had beaten them. He had mocked them. He had lived this harsh life, but God was still merciful and gracious to this man. And I think all of us in this room can testify that God sure has been merciful and gracious to us too. That's his heart. That's what he is. That's what he does. 
and, and, and he loves people. And here's this man who is so rough, so mean, so abusive. But God said, I love him. And I want to change his life and his family. And by the end of the story, God did. Amen? Because he's a gracious Lord. Look at me this morning. We still, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a gracious God. And I don't care what your background is. I don't care what you got yourself into. And you don't need to know my background and my faults and failures. The fact is this, that he is so gracious. Sin may abound, but where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And today, out of every place in the world, you could be. God has you here to hear that he loves you. He will forgive you if you will just come to him. Say, but preacher, I've done. Doesn't matter. He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Because he's a gracious Lord. None of us in this room deserve the mercy and the grace of God. But that's why it's called the mercy and the grace of God. None of us deserve his goodness. Yet his goodness leads us to repentance. I've been teaching in my Sunday school, and I don't want to teach that lesson. Right? I'd be here a while. But uh, the heart of God. There's only one scripture in the entire Bible that describes the heart of Jesus Christ. And your heart is who you are, right? All my Sunday school class. You can amen this because we're rare, right? Amen? But your heart, you, the Bible says in Proverbs 23, out of, that out of the abundance of the heart are the issues of life. We do what we do because what's in our heart. We speak what we speak, Jesus said, because it comes from our heart. Right? We, we love who we love because what's in our heart. And so... Only one scripture in the entire Bible is the heart of Christ mentioned. And he describes it himself in Matthew chapter 11 when he said this. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am what? Meek and lowly in heart. God could have said anything about his heart. God could have told us a lot of things, but what he wanted us to know, the only thing he wants us to know about his heart and why he does what he does and who he is, is because he's meek and lowly in heart. The word meek means he's gentle he's understanding isn't that awesome the only two people in the Bible described as being meek is Jesus in that passage and also Moses but one time when God said I'm going to wipe out the children of Israel and start over with you Moses said no blot my name out of the book but have mercy on them that's the heart of Christ as we see him go to the cross he's meek he understands who we are. David said, he knows my frame. He knows I'm dust. He knows what I am, right? He's meek and then lowly. Love that lowly. We always look at humility and we kind of look at it as an attribute or uh, you know, a characteristic and it is. Lowly is humble, but it adds more to it. And it's awesome. Lowly is an action. And this is, sorry Sunday school class, but I think this is important we understand this. Amen. We hear it again, right? Lowly is this. You know, if I, you know, here, let me find somebody. Um, Malachi, come here, man. Hi, Malachi. Here's Malachi. Stand right there. A lot of people see God as this. Now, be look at me. They see God as saying, here you go. Here's your blessings. Here, man, get your blessings. Get them. Grab it. And a lot of people see God this way. 
I want you to have a joyful life. Get it. Come on, get it. Get it. That's how they see God. I want you to have peace. Here's my peace. Grab it. A lot of us in this auditorium have felt this way. That's not his heart. His heart is meek and lowly, which means this. I want you to have this. And here you go, man. That's meek and lowly. Even if we fall on our face in sin and destruction, God is not saying, oh, look what you did. Meek and lowly says, God says, come on. I'm here. That's his heart. That's all he wants us to know about his heart. That's why he does what he does. That's why he acts like he acts. Because he is meek and lowly in heart. And when God saw, thanks man, when God saw that Philippian jailer, he did not sit there and say, man, I'm going to get that guy for doing that. He said, I love him. He needs me. And he reached out to that man. He's a gracious Lord. And when you understand his heart, it helps you understand just how gracious and merciful that the Lord is. He is a gracious Lord. And that Philippian jailer got saved that day because of a gracious Lord. And number two, that Philippian jailer got saved that day because of a great love. See, what, what kind of love? Well, Christ loved him. Amen? Christ loved this man. Now, I know I had a little fun theory there, but the fact is this, God spoke to Paul and Silas and said, I know the direction you're going. I don't want you to go that direction. I'm sending you to Macedonia. There are people there that need to be saved. People there that need salvation. Go there. Because God loved them. Matter of fact, God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves all of us. Christ loves you. For some reason, again, you know, I, I know I use the word love all the time. I tell people I love them. When I left the church down there at Bayview, you know, I preached for them on Thursday, and I told people as they were walking out, I love you. And they're not used to me saying I love them. But I do love them. I pray for them by name. You know, I, I know their names, and I pray for them. It's so good to meet a new crew, uh, just a core of people there. It's so exciting what's going on down there. And I, I'm excited about it. And, you know, I told them as they were walking, I love you. Thank you. Just, we live in that world, right? Yeah, right? But we should love each other. Because God has no problem telling us He loves us. And I have no problem saying this and confessing this with all my being. I love Him. But God loves us. God loves us so much. The Bible says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. And Christ Jesus loved us so much, he came and laid down his life for you and I because he loves you. God loves us so much that he sent his only son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He sent his son to die for us. That's a love that I can't, I have a hard time comprehending that love. I mean, I... I love my three children I love them I adore them and you know I love brother York I love brother Joshua sitting there 
But the fact is this, if it came down to either my children's life or those two men, see you in heaven, guys. Because I love my children. But God loves us in a supernatural love that he was willing to send his son, not just to die for us, even the death of the cross. He too was scourged and mocked and spat upon and beaten. He too was taken to, to the point of death and his scourging and literally the prophet said his body and his visage was as one you couldn't even tell that it was a person hanging on that cross. They had done such wicked atrocities to him. But on that cross, what was the words that Jesus said? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus was dying for their sins. Jesus died for our sins. That man got saved because of a gracious Lord and a great love. Christ loved him. But also, listen, there were two Christians that loved him. And I think this really, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, I believe this is one of the key things why this man got saved that night. If those prisoners would have left, that man would have been put to death. When all those prison doors opened, you can imagine what all the prisoners did. Woo! Right? We're out of here! Paul and Silas said, stay. And those prisoners listen. And he convinced them all to stay for one reason. Because that jailer would have died if one of them would have left. Right? If one of them would have left, that jailer's dying. And when that jailer, he saw that they were there and he called for a light and he realized every one of those prisoners were still there. He realized that Paul and Silas, they did that for him. If one of those prisoners would have been gone, that man would have went ahead and took his life. But instead, you see him falling at their feet, crying out he wanted to be saved because he realized these two men, their escape, their freedom, their liberty, his soul was worth more. Amen. They realized that they had stayed because these men were willing and were even all the other prisoners, they listened and they stayed because this man's life was that important. Oh, that we would show a love to a lost and dying world that would be a magnet that would bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That they would see in our life that we love them and that Christ loves them and that we just want them to be saved. And if we have to sacrifice, if we have to go without, if we have to give a little bit of our time, if we have to humble ourselves, if we have to step out and then you know, give something or be a friend or help, whatever it is, it's worth it because those are lost souls. And Paul and Silas, they said, this man's life is worth it. He said, no, no. We're all here. And that jailer said, give me a light. I need to see this. And he couldn't believe it. These men had saved his life. May a lost and dying world see in us a love for them. And that Christ loves them. And only wants them to be saved.
This man got saved because of a gracious Lord and a great love. And lastly, a glorious light. In verse number 29, then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. This man called for this light and when he saw and the light shone, he saw, sure enough, they were all there. This would lead him to fall before them and say, sirs, what must I do to be saved? The book of John chapter number one, turn there real quick, just back a few pages, previous book before this one, the book of John in chapter number one. It's talking about John the Baptist was sent to preach the gospel message. The Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse number 6, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. Your capital L, light. Lord Jesus. That all men... Praise the Lord, not some men. That all men through him might believe. He was not that light, talking about John, but was sent to bear witness of that light, Jesus. That was the true light, look at this, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. God wants every man to be saved in this gospel message this light and praise the Lord I'm thankful that that light shone upon me God made us book of Romans says that in our hearts we know there's a creator in our hearts that's why the Bible says in Psalms the fool has said in his heart that there is no God They have to try to convince themselves because their heart knows better. We're created with that. And the glorious light of the gospel saved that jailer that day. What happened? How did he get saved? We have everything we need to know. This is salvation. Number one, he was repentant. How do you know he was repentant? The first thing he did was he humbled himself and fell at their feet. The first thing he did, this harsh, big, strong, tough jailer, he got on his face in front of these two men and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He knew that it was beyond him. He knew he couldn't do anything in his own might. He was looking to them. He couldn't figure it out. It wasn't in his strength. It wasn't in his mind. It wasn't in his reasoning. He looked to them and he humbled himself and he fell down. A jailer did not fall at the feet of prisoners. But he humbled himself. I'm wrong. And he knew he needed to be saved. He may not have understood everything that he would come to know, and neither did I the day I got saved. But I did know this. I'm a sinner, and I've done wrong. And in humility, he fell before them with a repentant heart. And then Paul and Silas' answer is what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That repentant heart that I can't do it on my own, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. 
I'm not smart enough. It's not, the Bible's very clear, it is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. We're saved by grace through faith, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8. In this jailer, we're saved that day because he saw the sinner that he was. Look at me. He believed that Jesus is who he said he was. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord. He's master. He's the king of kings. He is Jesus. He is our savior. He died for our sins. He paid the penalty. He is Christ. He is that promised one from the book of Genesis that was promised would one day come. He is the Christ. He is the Lamb of God. He is the sacrifice for our sins. And that jailer, big old tough jailer, that day saw himself as a sinner. And he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what happened? He got saved. Matter of fact, he took him home and he woke his kids up and his wife up and he said, hey, come here. You got to hear what happened to daddy tonight. And Paul and Silas preached to the whole household. And everybody in that house accepted Christ as their Savior. They all got saved that day. And someday, I'm going to heaven. I can't wait to go to heaven. There was a day in my life and I too saw myself as a sinner and I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I too will one day see a jailer. I was thankful for a day that God sent someone who cared for him and sacrificed his own liberty, his own revenge, his own ways so that he might tell that man that he too could go to heaven. May God give us that heart for the people around us too. Let's pray. Father, Lord.